This week on Notorious Scoundrels Podcast. We've got a little bit of time left. Do we, do we want to talk about keep track of time and time limits and stuff? No, we can't. We're out of time. <laughs> I see what you did there. Derp. <laughs> All right. Welcome to the Notorious Scoundrels Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Notorious Scoundrels Podcast, where Dashes and Orchimedes from Never Tell Me the Odds join Endless from Yavin Base to talk about Star Wars Legion competitive play and improving your game. Today, we're going to be talking about the rules reference update, some more about the Yavin Base Team League, and we're also going to be talking about a local tournament we had in DC with five or six mass- maximum firepower uh, qualifier winners. So uh, let's get into um, the rules reference update. Uh, Orc, you want to? start sure so there were uh this has been covered somewhat extensively in various outlets already but um there are some pretty significant changes this time around um it's uh it's clear that ffg is uh observing what's going on in the community and in the game generally and that they are listening and that they are making changes accordingly that was one of my big takeaways i think from reading through this new new rules reference we're not going to talk about every single change. There were quite a few uh, clarifications and, and stuff like that, but we're going to talk about the major ones. So the first one is um, the big change. I think the biggest change probably is the key positions change. Thank you. Hallelujah. Skywalker, Emperor Palpatine, whatever force entity you pray to. Yeah. So this was a, this was a long time coming. Um, I'm glad that they have pushed it out in an errata instead of like trying to wait until they sell another box with cards in it or something. Um, so the new key positions is uh, basically instead of blue player placing two objectives and red player placing one, um, the uh, first objective is placed on the piece of terrain that is closest to the center of the table. And then each player places one. So basically, this means that you are always the the, the third contested objective. Essentially, is going to be some piece of terrain that is relatively close to the center of the table. So no more of this. No more of this. Uh, uh, you know, picking the double the double barricade in your corner of the board after getting advanced positions to sort of make your deployment zone super small, and then. You know, deliberately abusing that fact to put your your two KP in one spot and say, you know, get try to try to break through my army, and you know, it's like virtually impossible with certain lists. Uh, Weiss a Weiss ATST comes to mind, or any other like hugely defensive list. Saboteurs come to mind. Um, so, so we're moving away from abusing that sort of thing with this rule change, and I'm so thrilled. The developers listened to our pleas since Gen Con, and now we've finally been granted some change, which is amazing. Yeah, the old key positions, we've talked about this extensively, of course, um, devolved into an attacker-defender mentality. And any game where cover gives such a significant benefit and where um, actions are so important. You know, you've got one player basically sitting behind heavy cover, taking dodges and aim tokens and firing, and the other player moving and attempting to move and assault that position under fire and it's just you know does not make for a fun game uh for the red player so i'm glad they changed this um i think the implications number one is you'll probably see bids get smaller yeah a lot of a lot of the massive bids we've seen i think are are due in large part to 
you know, the perception of, of a significant advantage with key positions as blue player. And the fact that, you know, if it gets in the last slot and you can force it, you have, um, you know, a game that is basically yours to lose. Um, so I think bids for blue player will get smaller. I don't think they're going to just go away entirely and people are going to say screw blue player because you still get essentially three vetoes before the game even starts. You know, you get to tailor the battle deck. Um, so it's still advantageous and you also get to pick your board edge, which depending on how symmetrical your boards are can also be very important. Yeah, I, I mean, I think we're going to lose really heavy blue bids for like, I don't know, however long it takes Jin or so and Pathfinders to come out. It was getting really absurd though for for a good minute there, like to the point where people were saying, you know, real men bring fifty point bids or what have you. <laughs> I mean, I think that that was for the majority of people more of a sarcastic comment. I I've never actually seen somebody execute on a fifty point bid in any of the places I've played. But, I mean, I think that once Infiltrate becomes a thing, I think we're probably going to be right back in this situation. Except it's going to be based on balanced objectives, which is going to be interesting. Yeah, I, th I feel like Infiltrate is a little more um, counterable than the old key positions. Just because it's... So you can you can drop a unit on the box if you're a rebel player and you have um, Jinner Pathfinders with that Infiltrate keyword. Um, but, you know, they still have to actually get that box back to your side of the table. And they're going to, unless they have some shenanigans we don't know about yet, they're going to spend one action claiming that box and one action moving. So they're going to be, you know, range one from the center of the table on the first turn. Which means, depending on what terrain looks like, um, you know, you're going to have your entire force potentially in a position to shoot them. So it's like key positions, except you can shoot the key position. So... I think it's, I think it's less of an intractable situation than the old key positions was. Um, but I guess we'll see. You know, it's pure speculation until we see what what happens on the table with them. But um, Pathfinders are at least from you know preliminary reports, they look like they're on track to being at least as expensive as commandos. And if you've played commandos for any length of time, you know how absolutely painful it is to get your commandos destroyed early. You feel like you came to the game with a hundred less points than you needed to, right? And we did talk about last week. We talked about you know reading the fuzzy text on on danger sense, um, basically how they can get extra dice from suppression tokens. But that first shot of the game, they're not going to have any suppression tokens, um, and you know there are uh, they are still white dice. So uh, duck and cover, not, yeah, duck and cover seems like it it will be good on them. Um, but it's still white dice, you know, and there's still yeah. only four or, or possibly five of them in a unit. So, um, I guess we'll see what happens with that. But for now, key, at least key positions is fixed. Um, I, I think if you are a blue player, you can still turn this into a little bit of an advantage. You, you have to, it, it depends entirely on what your table looks like. Sometimes there's just one piece of terrain smack dab in the middle of the table and, you know, it's not going to matter which edge you pick. But other times there's there's a handful of pieces of terrain near the center. Sometimes there's no clear like, um, you know, like dead center terrain piece. And if that's the case, you should be looking at, you know, make sure you measure. If you're in an important event or something, make sure you measure from the center to so that you know if key positions comes up, which terrain piece is going to be the, 
the contested key position. Because if you can pick a table edge where that terrain piece is closer to you than it is your, to your opponent, you're still going to have an advantage. Yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see like how much of the the distance from the actual center matters as opposed to like taking the stronger table edge. Like a difference of like an inch and a half might not actually be enough to like flip taking the worse side of the table. Right, and it's going to be interesting too. Uh, like as a, uh, so I'm uh, um, going to judge and help set up terrain for LVO. And it's going to be really hard to not think about like which terrain pieces I'm putting near the center of the table when I'm doing that, <laughs> you know, because you know that one of the, if, if the key positions gets played, uh, the position of all of those terrain pieces is going to be relevant. Well, the position of terrain pieces is always relevant. I mean, it depends on how you feel. <laughs> I mean about it, but I, I get what you're saying though. Like with recover the supplies, especially it's relevant because you know if recovery's on like a high box and you don't have a jump character, well you're you're definitely behind the curve there. Or if uh, you know you've got some giant line of sight blocking terrain that's very clearly towards one quadrant of the board, yeah, that's going to make a big difference in key positions. Yeah, and it, it's it'll be knowable in advance since it's very specific criteria, right? The the terrain piece closest to the center. So uh, the other the other restriction on here um, is just that uh, the terrain pieces have to be beyond range one of any other piece of terrain with an objective token. Yeah, I like that. I think, in, yeah, I do too. So you can't just you know, obviously each player is only placing one now anyway, so it's probably less of an issue. But um, it also fixes the situation where you have basically like one objective that's worth double the other objective because they're just straight up right next to each other. That is certainly the best change out of all of them. Um, so the other big uh, battle card change was to rapid reinforcements. And this is not one that previously was like game breaking in the way that key positions was. It was just kind of boring. Um, you know, the, the slang in the community was simply that rapid reinforcements is just another clear conditions. Because in practice, when you're putting a unit in reserves, you're lowering your activation count, and you're also limiting the impact that that unit has on the first two turns of the game. Um, so it was very common for both players to just say, essentially decline and say, I'm not putting any units in reserves. And for there to be, you know, what is generally a disadvantage for utilizing a condition card was just kind of boring. So I love the changes they made to this one. Basically they made it so that uh, it's no longer zero to two units. It's it's one to two units. So you have to set aside at least one unit and you can set aside two if you want. Uh, they cannot be commanders or, or operatives. Uh, the non-operative thing I think is also different. Um, just to clarify that you cannot put Boba Fett in reserves, um, which would be pretty good since they also now come in on turn one. So um, you put them in reserve, and then you immediately shuffle that token into your pool, uh, and they come in basically one turn earlier, which can make a huge difference because you know the first turn of the game is a lot of positioning. Sometimes the range three and four units take pot shots at each other, um, but then it's like range or, uh, turn two on that things start getting interesting generally. Yeah. Um, so if you have like a close assault 
high impact unit or something that can uh, benefit from an advanced deployment like an FD cannon, it makes a lot of sense now to put them in in reserves since they get to show up immediately. That makes the E-Web so much stronger, thinking about it. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see how much better, if it's better at all deployment-wise, deploying on turn one as opposed to turn two is. The thing about deploying on turn two was that most of the time you're deploying after your opponent's moved twice. So there tends to be like a backfield area that you can kind of deploy into unless your opponent's kind of like held some people back specifically so that you can't do that. Uh, now, since on turn one, I think that that area is going to be a lot smaller and these are going to be generally more like forward deployments of, of your current forces as opposed to like deploying in somebody's backfield. In some ways that's good because it it's an enforced kind of, you know, not overextending. And that's, I think, the biggest issue with Raptor reinforcements that I, I think everybody who I've seen play it this way, they try to deploy in the backfield. They try to do the the deep striking thing, to borrow a phrase from another popular miniatures game. They try to do that, that thing, and they get completely chopped up for it because there's just too much heat where they've decided to drop in. And I think this is kind of enforcing a little bit more conservatism in your choice of drop site. And I think by and large, that will be a good thing for people, you know, just their experience of the game. They won't have like a, oh, I tried to do this thing and it failed spectacularly. Wonderful. Well, this this card's garbage, <laughs> you know. It will reduce that kind of impression that people will get by screwing up rapid reinforcements badly. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of in the don't take away player choice camp, but I understand what you're saying. And that it, it certainly will simplify it for people that maybe would have deployed poorly because they didn't know any better because that's kind of like what the card was saying to do. It'll probably avoid that more. Yeah, the, the card told me to do it this way. Yeah, we'll have to see how this plays out, but it certainly feels like a much more fun and interesting version of what used to be a pretty boring and ineffective condition card. Oh, for sure. And especially with the FD cannon, man, 70 points for a forward deployment, range four, just crazy, just crazy. And especially with the barricade ruling, which I think we should discuss that too, because now we know for sure that uh, FD cannons get cover from barricades. There was a little bit of a, a quibble. Right. So um, they did explicit. They did now explicitly state that emplacement troopers get cover from barricades. That's because they're troopers. Um, Right. So previously it just said, you know, barricades are not custom terrain, right? So you don't use the, the 50% rule with barricades. Um, barricades just straight up explicitly provide cover to troopers and emplacement troopers are troopers. So um, just to clear up any confusion on that, they did put in the emplacement trooper rules also that they get cover from barricades. Uh, but it's nice to, it's nice to have that clarified. Yeah, there were a lot of these like minor, very minor clarifications, but still like important questions that folks had that definitely reduced some confusion. And so, you know, kudos to FFG for clearing those up because that's going to make the game a lot easier to play. Yep, and they they sort of officially codified several bits of the terrain rules that have been in various locations and have have always been kind of logical conclusions of how the terrain rules work. But like for example. 
you know, essentially saying explicitly in the RRG that often a unit on top of a building, even if there's no railing or ledge on that building, will still get cover because part of their base is obscured if you're looking, you know, from a lower elevation upwards. Um, and also they explicitly talked about the process where pregame you you determine what cover per, or what terrain pieces provide cover to which units with, with the 50% test. And then during the game, it's, you know, when you're actually firing at something, it's if any part of the mini is obscured, you know, then you do the line drawing thing. Um, and then if that line crosses a terrain piece that during the, the setup phase before the game you determine provided that unit cover, then it gets cover. So they just kind of explicitly flesh that out a little bit more in, in the RRG so there's less confusion. Um, I still think uh, the process and the cover rules generally are more complex than they need to be, especially coming from, uh, I guess we're calling it the miniatures game that shall not be named. <laughs> I don't um, know. <laughs> Uh, the 40k rules are much simpler for for cover. Um, basically, they're just like if for infantry units, if a unit is physically standing on a terrain piece, like if their base is on a terrain piece, they get cover, and if they're not, they don't. Um, and what that means in practice is that most 40k terrain you will see actually, even if it's like a wall or some piece of linear terrain, has a base on it. Like it's on, it's mounted on some kind of scenic base. Um, essentially to facilitate that rule. So there's no like line of sight drawing, there's no lines, there's no obscuring, it's just is the mini physically on a piece of, of cardboard or not? Um, simple yes or no. But that's neither here nor there. We could we could talk forever about the, the cover rules and the terrain rules. Yeah, we're here to talk about rules reference changes. Right. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, with, the, with that being said, they did change um, elevated deployments. Uh, yes. So yes. that is a other than um, other than the two battle card changes, that's probably the biggest impact, at least on the competitive community, just because it was very common and advantageous to deploy sniper teams on different elevations, and they said no, you can't do that anymore. So um, the only time that you can do what they call vertical cohesion, which is where the units are in different elevations is immediately after a climb move or a clamber move. So you can't take a regular move and then to put them in vertical cohesion, you can't um, deploy them in vertical cohesion. You have to actually do a climb or a clamber move to uh, put different minis in the same unit at different heights. So break out those grappling hooks because you're going to need them now. Not that yeah, you didn't need them before. <laughs> Right, but now it's now it's even more important to you know if you've got those three points to spare to, to throw them on your snipers because if you want to do the you know um, clamber peaking is what I've started calling it, but basically where you have one the sniper mini at a higher elevation and the other mini your uh, your backup mini at a lower elevation behind a piece of terrain, then you have to climb or clamber to do it. Um, and speaking from experience. It feels real bad to lose a sniper to a clamber move, which has totally happened to me. <laughs> so yes, you're like, oh, it's one in six chance. I'm totally not gonna. Uh. <laughs> oh damn. <laughs> yep. Uh, it feels real bad to lose, you know, half of a 44 point unit uh, yeah. on a dice roll. Um. So yeah, throw those grappling hooks on your snipers, and 
just just be you know be cognizant of that too because it's going to be habit for for you and for other players to deploy snipers at different elevations and just know that you can't do that anymore so so as, as a little interlude i have to ask you guys because i think you guys are slightly more expert on the roles than me um so if i've got a unit with grappling hooks and i'm trying to clamber up a piece of height two terrain do i have to place that second miniature on the on the top of the terrain or can i place it in um base at the very bottom of that piece of height two terrain because i think the vertical rules say it's uh, has to be within the distance of a legal climber clamor move yeah, I... I, something something like that so i don't think you could put it at the bottom because that's technically two clamors to get up that height that two terrain. my understanding of how it works uh okay cool yep yeah yeah, yeah so you can't its... do that on height two right unless there's like a, a platform slightly lower down or something ah got it okay cool but yep it's uh they got to be height one or less apart from each other so all you need to know about how to do your your sniper cohesion you can find out here yep it's and in another uh, it's in both other sniper articles too i think yeah it is it is it's definitely in there about corner peaking with height and things like that which i, I think i actually did go back and fix um with this change to say that you can't deploy like that now i hope yeah. i did <laughs> um anyway we'll double checking that after we finish recording yeah i know right um so uh another change that caught my eye was just the changes to leaving the battlefield which i think has the biggest implications for force push so you can no longer either voluntarily leave the battlefield with your own mini uh, or you, when moving an opponent's mini, you also cannot force them to leave the battlefield. So um, no more force, force pushing stuff off the board. Womp, womp. I mean, this is good. This is really good, frankly. It, it opens up the battlefield when there is somebody with a force power on the board by like six inches. Because if Luke's on the table or Vader's on the table and they've got force push right now, you, you can't put any of your units within range two of either of those characters and within like six inches of the board edge. Otherwise they're just dead. Right. I, I think it's good just because force push is so good anyway. You know, the ability to delete units that are on the table edge seemed like an unnecessary icing on the cake. But how else am I going to bait Luke into my Wookiees? <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it, this is explicitly a nerf to force push. Um, because they there there was a, an email floating around previously that that used to say that you know you could do this so it's not like a clarification like you were never able to force push stuff off the board um, it's clear that you used to be able to do it and now you can't so yeah there was like nothing in the rules that said you couldn't and now there is right um, and like I said there was there was a dev email response basically that said you could do it so um, now it's been now it's been changed and you can't and i think this is a good change um like you guys said force push is still plenty good don't don't take this as a reason to like not take force push on luke because it's still amazing yeah it's still got like a dozen brilliant uses that don't involve pushing units off the board I mean, frankly i don't um, think i've pushed a unit off the board in like i don't know 10 or 12 games once you know it can happen it's very easy to like kind of play around it yeah it still happens though i mean um even the best players leave units vulnerable, whether just out of like a lapse or 
because they don't have another choice. Um, it happens occasionally, but yeah, this is can't do it anymore. So it's a good change. It's it's also thematic. Um, insofar as like leaving the battlefield is now essentially just for panic, which makes sense. Like if if Luke pushes some dude, you know, one inch off where you've arbitrarily drawn your six by four battlefield, like he's really not going to run back the, the the two feet to join the battlefield again. Like, <laughs> so, you know, it, thematically it makes more sense this way too. So yeah, pretty much panic is the only way I think now to actually leave the battlefield or a compulsory move. Yeah. No more voluntarily leaving the battlefield to deny bounty tokens to Boba Fett. That's gone. Yeah, which was hilarious, but um, yeah, it was funny and and cute, but it's it's not like you say it's not thematic at all. Oh, speaking of bounty, um, we sh- there were some changes to bounty also. There which were people may not have caught. So one of them was that um, guardian. If you take a guardian hit from, like, so for example, suppose you're Chewbacca, right, and you have a guardian three, and you're the bounty target, and Boba Fett shoots some other unit near you and you guardian that hit and then you die they've now explicitly clarified that boba still gets that bounty um the damage comes from boba still right um but the more interesting thing i think is uh bounty tokens can be claimed by other bounty hunters so if you have a baba on baba matchup and say it's like baba baba veer's mirror um, and each player puts their bounty token on Veers. Suppose blue Boba Fett kills red Veers and gets the, Boba, the bounty token. And then uh, the other Boba Fett kills the Boba Fett that has claimed the Veers bounty. He then gets that bounty token, and it's a victory point. So you can essentially transfer bounty tokens um, from one bounty hunter to the, to the other by killing them. Which is awesome. <laughs> Which I think is awesome, yeah. It, I think it also, like, I haven't really mathed through it in my head yet, um, just I haven't thought about it a ton, but it presents some interesting choices on who you, if there are mirrored bounty hunters on both sides, um, whether or not you, like, who who you place your bounty on. I, I, I guess you probably don't put it on the other boba at that point, because that boba could gain a bounty token, unless they put a bounty on your boba i don't know it sort of gets complicated and weird yeah it's kind of like han with change of plans right it's like wait a minute (laughs) where do i put you know so i I think this could result in some really hilarious and interesting interactions in in boba fett on boba fett matchups um so there were also uh so this comes both from the RRG and also from uh, an update on the forums to the FAQ. Um, those of you that don't know, there is a super secret, not well advertised official forums ruling FAQ um, on the FFG forums. So essentially this is like a things that are not in the, in the RRG, but are questions clarifying. Um, so one of them was how does battle meditation interact with Entourage now that Palpatine is out? And basically, they explicitly said um, that it does not interact. It doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't. So um, the entourage 
order has to go on the unit with entourage, even if you have battlemen. Full stop. Don't love it, but they're the boss. It gets a little crazy, uh, though, if you let that stand, the kind of shenanigans you could pull. Um, I don't know. Like, I'm, I'm like, I'm looking in my head here, right? What are how many units are actually going to have the ability to take battle meditation and the keyword entourage? Exactly one, at this point. Right, like, I mean, like at this point, one. And but like, I'm like thinking about it. Like, how how many other units are likely to have those two keywords? Uh, I can only guess. I have no idea. Sure. So, I mean, it feels it feels to me like, I don't know, force users with the keyword of entourage seem like an unlikely scenario. Just like Palpatine has royal guard, like that's like a thing he does. I, I don't know. So the fact that they kind of took it away from Palpatine, it, the effect felt very Palpatine esque, and I dislike that they took it away. Yeah, I wonder. I mean, obviously, we don't know their reasoning, but maybe it's just sort of a like a cleanup. Like this felt like something that was a loophole, so they closed it. Um, but I think to your point too, it does feel a little bit thematic for Palpatine, and to the extent that it currently only works on Palpatine, you know, it it does feel like something that he should be able to do, and some unique benefit for him. Um, so, yeah, you know, everything is gone according to the way I've planned. Like being able to just kind of like hand out an order token to anything on the board seems i mean it's really powerful but you've also spent like 100 points for the irg unit and then like 10 points for battle meditation at that point like it's not it's not like you haven't paid for it no. yep I, I, but it doesn't work that way so it doesn't matter right it doesn't matter <laughs> I, I think palpatine's still great um yeah i'm sure you agree maybe um but I, I did want to go back to the FAQ real quick because uh, I think that uh, it's a good thing to note. I personally print out the RRG whenever I go to a tournament. You should probably also print out the FAQ and bring it with you uh, just so that you can, you know, whenever you have to like call a judge or whatever, having that sort of thing on hand is very helpful. Yeah, and, and like I said, it's it's not something that's well advertised. So I've I've legitimately had people at tournaments, you know, when I cite something from there, they're like, "What? That that's a thing?" And then I have to like go to the FFG site and pull it up on my phone and show it to them, and they're like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> but yeah, it's it's a good idea if you're going to a tournament, have an RRG printed out and then have that um, that forum thread printed out. Not only for your own reference, but also so. You know, you can you can show somebody else if necessary. Yeah, it, it makes like rules disputes that have to do with things that have been errated and stuff very quick, very clear. You know, the TO doesn't have to like make a judgment call. Not that they should. I mean, like the TO should know that there's an FAQ. But if they don't, you know, you brought it with you, so everything's cool. Um, there are a lot of other clarifying changes and stuff in here too there were also some new keywords that we saw um obviously we don't so there were a couple of keywords treat and repair that are are not on things that we're aware of at the moment um basically they treat uh heals wounds and repair 
repairs vehicles, um, just like it sounds. It, it's, you know, it'll be interesting to see, uh, like what the value of X is, so to speak, um, and how much the units that these are on cost. But these are potentially both very interesting mechanics, I think. It's also good to note that they are limited by charges, kind of, um, for lack of a better term, in this case, wound tokens. So you can only treat or repair so many times per battle. It says, um, I think they both say like treat X capacity Y or something like that. They both have like a capacity portion of the keyword that makes it so they're not infinite effects, which is awesome because we know how, if you played X-Wing 1.0, you know how frustrating infinitely regenerating ships are. And so I'm glad we're staying away from that kind of thing in Legion. Clearly, if you're in a battlefield situation, resources are limited. Eventually, you're going to run out of juice. So... I'm glad that they're keeping away from infinite effects unless it's like the force or something. Yeah. And, and as we're talking about this, I would highly recommend everybody opens up their RRG right now and like reads through the keywords when we're talking about X and Y, because I imagine that that could probably sound a little bit complicated at the moment. Uh, it, it's a lot simpler if you just kind of read through what these abilities are doing. Yeah. It's like a million words that are much better demonstrated in person. Yep. Basically, it's just like a limit on how many times you can do it. So, you know, if you buy one like repair unit, that repair unit has some capacity Y, and you can only do the repair thing Y number of times, basically. So now it'll be even more pointless to shoot an ATST unless you specifically brought guns for it, because the astromechs are just going to probably repair whatever's behind it. I presume repair is on the astromech, but. Um, again, really, I'm, I was thinking it was that. on. It was on the medical droid. Yeah, mm, G G was. <laughs> anyway, yeah, and also the the tree thing can revive a mini that was killed during the turn, from what I understand. Yeah, I'm going to be interested to see if there's like some sort of token to track what's been killed this turn. I really don't like the way that this is worded in the RRG. In if, if we don't get some sort of... But the other thing is I don't really want to put extra tokens down to like track what's died in my squads that turn. Um, I think they suggested tipping the mini over before removing it. Interesting. Which yeah, could get messy. Just, it feels like a sloppy ability, and it sort of feels like that died this turn clause doesn't need to be there. Um, uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe in testing or something it was broken if, if not but it seems like a difficult thing to track i i kind of like it it's sort of like if you didn't get help in time it, the wound was actually fatal yeah i mean I, I think it's super thematic uh i i'm just thinking from like an ease of gameplay effect you know if i go to heal my wounded you know four-man stormtrooper unit or something right and I lost one mini two turns ago and another mini this turn. Like, I got to remember that I lost the second mini the turn before. And I, I don't know. It just seems weird to me. Yeah, it's potentially awkward from a tracking perspective. Although, unless you've got all your dudes in one clump, which does happen, it might be like sort of clear which, which squad, the squad or unit you're. Um, medical unit is babysitting, but who knows? So it's even more going to become even more important to mark your bases or have some distinguishing marker between units now, just so you don't lose track. 
Yep. Yeah, it's always a good idea to have either different color bases or some kind of insignia or something on your on your troopers. Yeah, so is there anything else we want to talk about with the rules reference? No, man, I think that covers it pretty well. I'm, I'm stoked about all these changes. I'm so ready for specialists. Oh, my goodness. So many cool things are going to happen with those. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I imagine we'll be starting to see like previews and stuff shortly with you know Chewbacca and Wookiees like right around the corner it's, I think specialists are up should be up next after that right yeah I think so okay um alright so I guess let's move on to uh, a place where specialists might be legal Yavin based team league cough, I, uh, cough. <laughs> you, you've got some updates I think or I hear I, that you guys I do. Kids. I do. So um, if you all don't know, um, I run the blog called Yavin Base, and um, we're hosting a little team league, which is going to happen online through the Legion Discord and Tabletop Simulator Legion mod. It's going to be a team tournament, of course, with uh, teams of three. It's going to be four Swiss rounds, I think, given the number of registrants we have. We actually... Uh, open registration and we're up to like 11 teams which is super sweet we've got like 33 people we might get up to 14 it's it's looking kind of cool you know we got a whole other week left to register and so if you're interested and you don't know um tabletop simulator legion but you still want to play you know i invite you to come on in there's no like uh skill floor uh games however are time limited so you're gonna have to be pretty familiar with what you're doing so if you are Starting from scratch, um, it might be difficult, but you know, I'd say don't let that deter you. Come on and be part of the league. And um, so we got eleven teams registered. Um, and I want to just talk a little bit about our amazing Legion community on the Legion Discord. And I have to kind of back up a little bit before the the team league and talk about Invader League real quick, which was the um, brainchild of Talk Polite. Some of you might know him. His name is LJ Pena, and um, I'm at Goats, who's the guy that runs the the Discord. Um, they created the Invader League, which was like the first online league for Legion. And this is kind of an extension of their work. And the guy named Tiran uh, did all the map making for that. And so the three of them, you know, they were the sort of gener generators, the guys that created the Invader League. Um, and so we're kind of uh, building on their, what they what they did. And we're standing on their shoulders, definitely, uh, just with Tiran's work with the mod. And um, uh, you know, Tyrion's map making skills because we're using a ton of his maps for this league. But uh, I guess my point was that we have an awesome community, and they've uh, stepped up to the plate to create some prize support for this league. Um, currently, we have prizes for first, second, and third. Uh, both Dan Wolf Games and the Fifth Trooper Podcast are offering one hundred and fifty dollars each cash um, in terms of a prizing. So we're going to have um, one hundred and fifty for the first place team. That's 50 per player, uh, 75 for second, and 75 for third. McGoats is bringing back some of his Legion Discord t-shirts. So if you win the league, you're going to also receive a set of three Legion Discord shirts. Um, you'll have to talk to, to McGoats directly about sizing. Uh, there's a few, um, there's a different different quantity of shirts that are left, so I'll have to work that out with him. But that, those shirts are on offer. And we've got some alternate art cards. We've got three sets of the Orabesh alternate arts from Q2. 
that we're giving away. And we also have, uh, we're going to have three sets of Q3 alt arts that we're giving away to the second and third place teams, uh, one for each. And we have to decide which is the better prize for second and which is the better prize for third. But we, we have those prizes on offer now. So that's uh, definitely part of what we're doing. And uh, tomorrow there's going to be a big news drop about the map pool. And there's going to be a lot more uh, information about the um, format because we've we've decided to make one small rules change to the format. We were originally going with a double blind pick at the you know at the outset because we thought that was the fairest way, but we've realized that that's better for in-person events, and so we're going to go ahead instead flip to a a, a coin flip system where uh, the two team captains flip a coin and then the loser picks the first list and shows first. Um, it's just easier to handle without intervention of a of a tournament organizer. So we're going to run that system. But man, it's uh, so exciting to see the way the community has stepped up and exciting to see that people have you know decided to sponsor this tournament. And um, I got to say, the community has a lot of faith in what we're doing here. And I'm, I'm so thrilled to see that. So um, keep your eyes peeled for a big news drop uh, tomorrow on the Avon Base blog. I'm going to post it around uh, 10 a.m. Pacific. Um, and it's going to have a lot more information coming there. So that's what's going on with the Team League. So if you're interested, come on and join us. Registration's free. You just need three people with challenge.com accounts and uh, go to our sign-up page. There's a link to the sign-up page through the Yavin Base blog. So check it out. I'm super stoked. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, we're a team. Like the Notorious Scoundrels are a team. We've got like, we've got a bunch of really cool people playing. So if, if you've followed Invader League at all, we've got a lot of the um veterans who come back to form a team and some of the names are kind of funny i personally like uh, jay and silent knobs that's ellis and nikki from from the uk uh, plus jay from tabletop oddity you may have heard of that cast but um yeah so that's going to be a fun a fun team and this is going to be a cool like there's going to be some fun banter we're going to win some awesome prizes you know it's going to be a good time all around <laughs> <laughs> yes it's gonna be a lot of a lot of trash talking i think going on too which is gonna be fantastic it's already started a little bit i uh, this is this is why i like team events because you know it kind of seems a little like crappy to like trash talk like your opponent but when you're on a team and you're trash talking yes it's good team, natured it's not, and that's kind of what like we're looking for anymore. is you know a positive a positive experience fun, even you know? though it's like you know a little friendly ribbing you know it's teasing but it's the good kind, not the mean kind. It's the beer pong kind, as opposed to the like, yeah, exactly. Let's go meet a little, little, you know, light post at you know, high noon or whatever. <laughs> oh God, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. So, um, gosh, I had something I was gonna say and I forgot. Uh, oh yeah, so streaming. There is gonna be streaming. Um, I'm gonna try to stream uh, two to three times a week. Some of the games from the team league. We won't be able to feature every game, obviously, because. If we're you know looking at twelve players, that's going to be you know six matches with um, six 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 matches with three games. So the eighteen games for for the two week period. So out of those eighteen, we'll be able to stream about a third of them, uh, unless some other people who are not me step up to the plate for streaming duty, um, which could happen. Um, I'm working with all the people who you know still do streams and who stream for the Invader League that were not on the primary league channel. But we're going to make that happen. We're going to have some ability to watch those games and be uh, a spectator if you have the, the time. And of course, everything will be VOD'd and 
someday soon the Yavin Base YouTube channel will be functioning to catalog all of these games so they will be forever uh, linked in the archives of YouTube until such time as I take them down or they get memory hold. Uh, one of those two things will happen. So, <laughs> so that'll be fun. And uh, if you want your game streamed, you can uh, talk to me and I can uh, try to make that happen. Bring interesting lists. Don't just bring meta stuff. We're not here to, to bash meta with each other, even though there is money on the line. We're here to do fun and interesting things. He, he said. He said. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm doing fun and interesting. Yeah. You are doing fun and interesting, and we're going to talk about that at some point soon here. Yeah, that's. <laughs> I think that's actually like a pretty good segue. Um, yeah, why not? So uh, we had a, a pretty local tournament. I think we talked about it briefly on on the cast maybe a week or two ago that it was like going to happen. We kind of ran out of time last week to talk about it. We so we uh, Orc and I went to a tournament at Huzzah Hobbies. Uh, I guess it was what three weeks ago now. Uh, no, it was it was a week ago from Saturday. So Jeez. what is that like nine nine days? Really? I think so. Wow, it feels like it's been much longer than that. Um, it was it was November seventeenth. Okay, it has not been three weeks. I am just apparently crazy. Um, so yeah. It had, I think, five maximum firepower qualifier um, attendees. Yeah. I think five. Uh, yeah, f- five uh, Adepticon invitees. Yeah. So, um, uh, they're all of all of which were first or second at Nova on various days. So, um, yes, one of those was me, and then there were four others. Um, so it was not like a you know random. Uh, FLGS tourney. It was, you know, it was decent size, twelve players, and then, um, you know, there's um, there's a, a solid group of us that play together pretty regularly. So, um, it was really fun. I uh, um, so the winner was uh, um, a certain dashes. Who, right? Wait, who? That that would be you. Who's that yeah. guy? Right. <laughs> <laughs> So before before I get into my craziness, um, why don't you talk about your list real quick? Yeah, so I was running um, Darth Vader with uh, Force Push, Force Reflexes, and Saber Throw. I was playing Boba Fett with Hunter. I was playing a Naked Rebel Trooper Squad, um, three Stormtrooper Squads with DLTs, a Flame Trooper Squad with an extra guy, and two squads of scouts that sounds right um and it it went fine i i mean like i won so i I guess it went more than fine but um i'm not convinced the list is super competitive Uh, my last game was against matt dunn um, and i had at the end i won uh, but at the end of the game i had just vader boba one stormtrooper and one scout trooper so i had four characters on the board pieces um, wait wait four models left yeah i won with four models on the board holy the thing smoke about it, <laughs> the thing about it is that it, it might be four models but it's like half my army's points yeah yeah how many how many uh minis would you say vader killed in that match by himself i let me put it this way darth vader attacked seven times one of the times was with saber throw. All of them were 
against non-Pierce immune targets. Uh, he he deleted essentially five to six entire squads of uh, uh, like rebel infantry. It was amazing. <laughs> that, that sounds pretty fun. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was. It, I mean, it was fun for me. Um, I, I think Matt got a little bit frustrated in that he just like couldn't contest the intercept point. We were playing intercept the transmissions, and he kept on like just throwing his rebel trooper squads like at Vader, hoping that like eventually you know you would uh, erode the beach. But it was not to be. Um, Vader is not very erodible with um, rebel troopers. No, and you know once you once you have something to sit behind with line of sight wise uh it gets kind of complicated um i think i for, force pushed f- like five or six units that game in addition to you know sending out like five or six uh melee swings with with vader um so it, it was effective i i had a good time um i played against uh a han uh han luke Han Leia uh, ATRT list round one, um, and I played against Veer's uh, like thirteen activation. Uh, that was Raul Rosado um, game two. That was a tough game. It was even though like I was blue player on key positions, um, he made a really real good game of it. He had three uh, snowtrooper squads fully decked out, which really put the hurt on my army oof yeah that sounds evil yeah it, it was it was scary frankly uh, i think the only reason i really came out of that one on top was i was able to he he took two squads of um two strike team sabs and i, I was kind of able to chunk them off the board on turn one because of some positioning issues uh and had had they been able to get those those charges on uh this there was like a central key position because it was kind of a weird board. I think he played on it round one orc. Um, mm-hmm. And I ended up having to put my key position like very close to the center of the board, very similarly to how key positions is now worded. Uh, so he he had like a very central objective where he could have like tossed some bombs out and made it absolutely miserable for me to uh, contest the point, but I was able to kind of get rid of them. So it went well. Uh, and I, I don't know. I think Vader Boba is probably too much points wrapped up in characters at the end of the day. Uh, four models left on the table is not really um, a comfortable place to be at the end of a tournament, even if you win. Uh, it, there's, I'd like a little bit more of a safety net built in there. But what did you run? So I ran the old. Um, sorry about the barbecue. I don't actually know who coined that phrase, but I like it. Um, so I'm going to stick with it. Basically, it's Han by himself with um, three flamethrower ATRTs and a bunch of troopers. Um, I had two snipers because Wookiees and Chewie aren't out yet, but um, once they're out, I'll probably replace the, those sniper points with either Chewie or Wookiees um, for the melee peel. Uh, it was really fun. I um, ultimately I went two and one. Um, my loss, which is a whole other discussion topic, um, the short version is um, so I played a super nice guy named Alan Shepard, 
and uh, he was paying attention to the objectives and I was paying attention to trying to burn as many things as possible. So, um, you know, it's a game about objectives. <laughs> um, we ran out of time and, uh, and he had more unit leaders on the center than I did. So, um, you know, if we had finished, um, I probably would have continued burning things to the detriment of his stormtroopers, but um, we didn't. So, um, we can, and we'll see how much time we have, but we could launch into a whole nother discussion about like how important it is in a tournament um, where there's a time limit. And there were really short time limits on this one. That's It was two hours, um, not even two hours and 15 minutes, but just straight two hours to include setup and battle cards and everything. So um, how important it is to make sure that you're paying attention to the time and also um, to where things stand on objectives because if the game ends before you expect it to, you need to make sure that you're in a position to score those objectives because that's the whole point of the game so as much fun as it is to roll pools of 10 and 12 black dice with surge i uh, got a little distracted by that <laughs> so light it on fire it's so fun oh man it was so i i don't think i've ever had more fun playing a list i will say that um basically what you do is and i don't want to like necessarily popularize this list and i'm definitely not going to play it for team league <laughs> So please, nobody bring impact grenades. He says. Um, but basically, you—it's uh, just Han by himself, or possibly with Chewie. Um, so the first turn is either assault or, um, or like change of plans if they throw maximum firepower down. And before um, you think that I was just stomping rebels, I played—I um, played against two Imperials, one Veer's triple bikes list, and then one Veer's bubble list. Um, second of which I was red on key positions. Um, and I won that one pretty handily. So um, there was Wait, plenty. Bikes? Yeah, Veer's triple bikes. He... That, that was Alan. That's the one that I lost. That, oh, um, okay. I was like, did he focus one RT out or did he just not do that? It was, so actually, um, this is going to be kind of a uh, pointless discussion without looking at the table, but. Okay, fair enough. Um, <laughs> the, the board, it was the same one um, that, that uh, Dash has mentioned. Um, it was a very urban map. Uh, it was actually really difficult to get the ATRTs around. Um, so it was probably turn three before they were in flame range of anything. Because there was there was a, a, a wall down like the center of the table that was just high enough for them to not be able to walk over. It, it was literally the uh, the wall from the Coruscant map from Invader League. Oh, yeah, like the, the Imperial terrain wall. Yep. Yeah. yeah, so it turns out it's like, 60% the height of an ATRT. Oh um, shoot. Yeah. <laughs> so um so I was basically not able to access him for like the first three turns. Um it still turned out fine from a killing units perspective ultimately, but again I um you know, I didn't overrun the objective soon enough. Um but yeah, the Veer's bubble list I played was actually it was my good friend um also named Mike. Um uh and uh yeah, that was um uh, he had Veer's Boba, so it's not like I didn't face any impact. Um, so basically, you do you combo Reckless Diversion with Sorry About the Mess on back-to-back -back turns uh, to essentially give you like two turns of uncontested dice rolling. Um, and it's worked pretty well so far. Uh, we'll see once I run up against like an ATST or some laser RTs or, or Vader or something like that. Uh, it seems like it'll crumple pretty hard, but at the moment, it's been really fun to, you know, roll pools with 12 dice in them yeah uh it is super important that you put an uplink on the flamers yep 
absolutely. Um, so all three of them in my list were uplinks. Um, and that's so that when you play the zero pip, sorry about the mess, you can trip all the uplinks and you can get a zero pip uh, flame on. And hopefully you've positioned them in such a way so that each have at least two targets, which actually is not that hard because they're pretty fast. So, um, you know, ideally you hold them back like out of the LT range for as long as possible on the first turn and then you double move them. Um, and then depending on your deployment, they might already be like in your opponent's face at that point. So uh, you can either do reckless diversion to keep the heat off of them or, or go straight into sorry about the mess and uh, start flaming things. It's really fun. Um, until your ATRTs start dying, which also inevitably happens. But you, you could also have situations too where you know it's a very aggressive list. Um, so if you have like a central objective, you can push your opponent so far off the central objective that they can't get back to it. By the yep. end of the game. <laughs> that's exactly what happened to me the last time I played this list online. It creates yep. a it creates a gap, like a really big one in the middle that you can just like casually walk through. You can also shoot five Z6 units at it and not score any hits because the dice say no, but that's a that's a rare occurrence. Usually you'll get like at least a few. You, you got a couple crits in there. I, I did, I did. And then Luke uh, got mule kicked by one for three hits, and that was that was awful. That was oh, yeah. awful. Getting mule kicked by ATRTs is a feel bad, isn't it? Uh, it does. It actually hurts pretty pretty heavily. Yeah, I, I I love that. So he got a weapon destroyed, which of course he picked the flamethrower on one of the ATRTs. But <laughs> yeah, <you> my know. <laughs> mistake. <laughs> I guess you should have picked the feet. You yeah, know, should have picked the grappling claw. Would have saved Luke some pain for sure. Um. So yeah, that um. It's been it's been fun. Um, I, I've had more success with it than I anticipated. So we'll see how long this phase lasts. But uh, I'm definitely not playing it in Team League. So please don't bring any impact weapons. All all you out there in Team League, definitely just going with boring Wonder Twins. Um. So. Um. um so, yeah. So we've got sorry, a little go bit of time left. Do we do we want to talk about keeping track of time and time limits and stuff? We can't. We're out of time. <laughs> <laughs> I see what you did there. Derp. <laughs> All right. Where's um, Where's Ed McMahon when I need him, or right. whoever that guy is? <laughs> so I I guess the thing that I kind of wanted to talk about here is that uh, it, the vast majority of tournament games that I've seen end on turn four, not because of concessions, but because of you know, not meeting the time limit, and I and I don't feel like anybody's playing slowly or intentionally slowly. Uh, so I kind of wanted to have a conversation centered around how to have positive and healthy, um, may, maybe asks of everyone in the tournament world to play faster. You know, um, I think I think that it is important in in these games at tournaments that if you feel like the game is moving too slowly, you need to, you need to say something. Yeah. I don't think it's like bad form if you're at a tournament with a time limit um, and you feel like the game's not moving quickly enough to, and maybe don't even just be like, Hey man, can you play faster? Just be like, look, we, you know, we're only on round three. We've got, 30 minutes left um you know let's let's see how much of this game we can get in um because often and i I think 
we could do a whole nother discussion about chess clocks, but I think often you are playing slower than you realize also, you know, it's sort of a natural tendency with your brain to, um, you know, when it's active and making decisions, obviously you're engaged. So, um, time is moving faster in your brain than it is in your opponent's brain. And the, the reverse is also true. So like when your opponent is activating something and your brain is less active, you know, you're, you're, you're basically waiting for them to finish what they're doing so that you can do what you want to do. And that's time that feels slower probably than when you're doing something. So, um, it's kind of natural to assume that your opponent is playing slower than you, but I don't know that that's always the case. Um, but I don't think it's bad, bad etiquette to make sure that you're discussing the time limit with your opponent and sort of try and get like a commitment out of them to try to get in as much game as possible. Um, but I do think, you know, if FFG is going to mandate that tournaments are two hours and 15 minutes per round and try and get four rounds in one day, I personally would not mind seeing them move to chess clocks just because if anything else, it shows you how much time you're taking. Um, and they're really not that bad once you practice with them. So. Yeah. I mean, it's also, you know, from a, it, I think that this game is going to be a little bit harder to judge slow play. I don't know. Yeah. There's, you mean like with a chess clock or just in general? Well, I mean, I think without a chess chess clock, I think it's it's going to be generally hard to, you know, uh, there's a lot to think about, you know, it it's, you know, we look at X-Wing and we look at games like Armada and you, you can, for the most part, have like flight plans and stuff pretty much pathed out before the game starts. And once the game starts, you got a pretty good idea if, if you're like really experienced where everything's going to go because you have control over where the asteroids go and where the debris goes. And, you know, the only thing, the only variable in play is what your opponent's doing. Whereas, you know, in Legion, you're playing on a completely different table every game for the most part, which is great fantastic but you know sometimes there's a building in the middle of the optimal pathing for the placement it and going left and right all of a sudden or up and over um those are all decision trees that you know cause branching you know taking one movement to the left by 45 degrees as opposed to taking one movement to the right by 45 degrees can change the course of a game um and in other games, you can kind of like pre-plan what what you should be doing. And this game is is less clear ahead of time. Yeah, there's a lot more like sort of um, adjustments that you make during the course of a game to your plan as things happen. I'm kind of in the anti-chess clock camp myself. Um, I, I view myself as a slow player, even though I'm probably not as slow as I think I am. But I feel like if my opponent is actively working on a problem on the board, like if they're actually looking and measuring and checking and doing like the the work of the game, the business of the game, then I mean, it's fine if they want to measure and remeasure. I'm completely fine with that. Like as long as they can prove to me they're not deliberately stalling, I'm pretty lenient. Although some people would just not, you know, even go that far to give their opponent that kind of room. But I just, I mean, my biggest issue with the chess clock is how do you resolve one player running out of time? And I'm sure other game systems already have a solution to that. 
but it just feels kind of terrible when you think about it. You know, it's like, because that becomes like a clock game. Well, my list takes, you know, my turn is executed in five minutes and your turn is executed in, in 10. And eventually, you know, I'll, I'll just beat you because you run out of time. Just, I mean, it just introduces an out of game element. Happens, though. Okay. Except in the reverse, right? So my list, I, I took a list that's way more efficient and has less units. So it only takes me 10 minutes to take my turns where you've got 12 activations and a more complicated decision tree. So, you know, your list is going to take you longer to play, right? So that's sort of already happening just in kind of like a reverse polarity. And you also have lists that are better early game and lists that are better late game. So, you know, that's my main concern is that we've got all of these like, lists like a lot of times you know i mean i play vader a lot like sometimes he doesn't get to the fight until turn three you know that uh, in a turn four game that means the game's half over before he even gets there you know sure by all means if your opponent is deliberately stalling then yeah take him to task for it well i guess my, my my point is that i don't think that these games that are going to turn four and turn five are being deliberately stalled i think the conversation needs to be nobody's deliberately stalling but we still need to play faster okay fair enough like and i mean having having your stuff organized is definitely a big component of that i think yeah. uh, impact x had an article about this it was like uh what was it called kessel run and 12 parsecs how you can play faster and they actually had a, a pretty awesome guide to this and i recommend everybody read that yeah i mean one of the things that you should do if you're planning on going to a tournament is practice playing with a time limit um, just so you're not that guy, but also so that you can help facilitate finishing games. Cause you know, my, my pitch for the chess clock is not, you know, like Dash has said, not that I think that people are deliberately stalling. I don't think people are doing that. Um, but people in, including, I think probably myself are, are playing slower than they realize sometimes. And this is a game that's designed to, to be played for six turns. So, you know, I think it feels you know you say it feels bad to run out of time i think it feels bad to lose a game that you think that you would have won if you had actually played a full six turns you know because because the game is designed to be played for six turns so uh, you know it's it's a rough feeling to to leave a match thinking like well we ended on on turn five but if we had got that one extra turn in then then it you know it would have been my game um you you don't want to have that feeling and i don't think your opponent wants you to have that feeling either so the, the struggle that I'm seeing is that um, you also have situations where it's like, well, if only I had a turn seven. And both both are true. They're both based on rules context where it's like the turn lasts only six games. The turn all, the game also lasts only two hours and 15 minutes. I think they're both equally valid endpoints for the game. Um, I would agree, except that, you know, the, the six turn limit means that each... Each unit gets twelve actions, right? Assuming it's not suppressed. Yes. Um, whereas the 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 time limit is essentially variable, right? Like you could play six turns, or you could play four turns. Um, That's and true. There are, there are objectives that are scored differently depending on, you know, where you are in the game. Um, so one one uh, length variable is static, and it it has a predetermined number of actions that each unit gets. Whereas the other variable is. Um, variable <laughs> um 
and you have situations where you know you could have your units get eight actions or six actions right um so it's you know uh, i personally feel like the game is designed to be played a full six turns and and to me it feels much worse to fall short of that six turns um, whether you win or lose and have basically a game where the feeling is that the outcome um is somehow less legitimate because it's not fully settled if that makes sense that's fair um, so I don't think that we're going to see chess clocks, but, um, you know, I guess we'll see like how LVO and Adepticon go. And if there's more discussions about games, not finishing and people being disgruntled about that. Um, yeah, I think LVO is going to be a big litmus test for that. Cause we're, this is like what the largest event that's been run on a single day. It's like 64 people. And I think it would be an interesting context just to talk about chess clocks simply because, um, Frontline Gaming, the organization that runs LVO, um, they also run the, the the miniatures game that shall not be named ITC League, <laughs> um, at, so, which is like a you know um, rather official third party tournament structure um, that Frontline administers, and they've mandated chess clocks for that. Really, I had um, no idea. Yep, me either. And they're, and they're using chess clocks for their their 40k event, which is kind of like the the highlight of LVO. LVO is the it's the last um, 40k event in the ITC season, um, and there's like five thousand dollars at stake or something like that. It, that's what it was last year. I don't know if it's even more this year, but hmm. um, so yeah, there's big money in 40k, I guess. Um, but uh, so it's it's interesting just because the organization that runs LVO is mandating chess clocks for their flagship game that they run. So um, I think it's an interesting discussion to have. I don't know if we're going to see ffg ever go there but um i don't know i think it's worth a, i think it's worth a conversation what if we what if the three of us went out into the world and did games with chess clocks and reported back our experiences as a kind of homework for like maybe a couple episodes from now yeah i think that's a great idea that'd be kind of cool that is a good idea let's do it can have to yeah, find a chess it. clock but yeah same here <laughs> i don't own one <laughs> well you know there is one in tabletop simulator there, there is there is a clock app yeah yeah um so we could use that at least when we're playing each other um sure. I, I will say that it's it's got a bad stigma but once you get you get used to it and you've practiced with it um i think you'll like it at least in competitive settings you know yeah, if, if you're if you're doing a beer and pretzels game you, you probably don't want to use a chess clock um you know if you don't care whether you play for three hours or four hours or whatever um you know, that's totally fine. Don't use chess clock. But I think if you're gonna if you're gonna say that you only have two hours and fifteen minutes or less to play to play a game of Legion, um, personally, I think that FFG needs to take steps to make sure that that game of Legion lasts for six turns. But that's just me. Ta-da! Cool. Ta-da! That's the end of that panel. <laughs> right. <laughs> Sorry, awesome. that got a little soapboxy. No, that is okay. No, good. <laughs> You're so, good, man. I think that uh, pretty much wraps up everything we were going to talk about today. Uh, we talked about the rules reference update, the Avon-based team league, and uh, the tournament we had in, in D.C. You guys want to leave us with anything here? Uh, check out yavinbase.wordpress.com tomorrow morning, 10 a.m. Pacific. There's going to be some more news about the team league. 
and that's my that's my one announcement. Yeah, so that'll probably be about the time this goes live, I assume, right? Yeah, roughly the same time. So, so uh, listen and watch and stuff. <laughs> listen and read. There we go. Listen, listen and read. read. Sweet. Well, uh, thank you everybody for listening today. I'm Dashes. Morganides. And I'm Endless. We're the Notorious Scoundrels. Join us next time for another edition of the Notorious Scoundrels podcast. This has been a Fifth Trooper production. <laughs>